and teasing them and offering them delicacies from his own hoard. Seeing this unique sight, the creator Brahma was steeped in wonder, desirous of seeing more of this divine child's play. He spirited away the calves into his own world, known as Brahmaloka. After enjoying this delightful interlude with the Lord, the boys noticed that the calves were missing. Krishna told them not to interrupt their meal and that he would go himself to bring back the straying calves. Still carrying the half-eaten bowl of rice in his right hand and staff in his left, he wandered off in search of the calves. In the meantime, Brahma came and spirited away the boys as well. Unsuccessful in his attempt to find the calves, Krishna returned to the river bank to find that the boys had also vanished. It dawned on him that this was a joke by the creator Brahma. He decided to play along with him. In the evening when it was time to return home, they were still missing. So he took on the forms of all the missing boys and calves and sticks and slings and pots and flutes. This is an experience of yogis in the state of God consciousness when they see all things including inanimate objects as divine. As the calves, as the gopalas, as the toys and vessels, and as well as himself, Krishna, the soul of all beings, entered the village of Raja. At this remarkable contingent returned, the gobis and mother cows, instead of welcoming Krishna first, as was their habit, ran to their own children and calves, for everyone and everything was Krishna Maya, filled with Krishna. Therefore on that day, no one saw any difference between their own child and Miss Joda's child. Some Jivatma, due to its past karma, gets born in our wombs and we pet it and fondle it and call it our own, flesh of our flesh. But Krishna is more than our flesh. He is the soul of our soul. Naturally, they loved him more dearly than their own children. For one year, this impersonation went on, and every evening when the little cavalcade, consisting of so many Krishnas, returned to the village, the gopis bathed him and fed him, and fondled him and put him to sleep in all their houses. The cows did likewise. Thus did the Lord spend one year in the houses of the gopis as their own sons and in the cowsheds as the calves. In the mornings he would set out to the forest, tending himself as calves and gopalas. Balrama, who was the incarnation of the Lord's power, Ashesha noticed these startling signs of overwhelming affection by the Gopas and Gopis for their own children instead of for Krishna and realized that it was all a play of the Lord. He tackled his brother about this and was let into the secret. A human year 
is only a minute to Brahma. So when he came back a while later, he was surprised to find the scene exactly as he had left it a while ago. Krishna was sitting in the middle and the Gopalas were seated round him and he was holding the half-eaten ball of curd rice in his right hand and the staff in his left and was teasing and laughing with them while the calves frisked around them merrily. Brahma was thoroughly confused. He knew for sure that he had just whisked the calves and boys away a while ago, a year ago to be exact according to human calculations. And here they were, all exactly as he had seen them before. In compassion, the Lord gave him the eye of wisdom with which he saw that all the boys and calves were replicas of Lord Vishnu, four-armed, holding the conch, discus, mace and lotus, having the mark of the Srivatsa and the jewel Kaustaba on the chest, adorned with the Vanamana of garlands of tulsi leaves and many divine ornaments. And what is more wondrous was that even the inanimate things carried by the boys, like their flutes, slings, sticks and pots, had the same form. Many celestial beings, including himself, were seen by Brahma as kneeling down and worshipping the Lord of Raja. According to the Bhagavad Gita, it was the experience of the great devotees to see everything as Vasudeva, and this was the experience that Brahma got. His pride was thoroughly humble, and he did not know what to do. At last the Lord had pity on his predicament, and when he looked again, Brahma saw that immeasurable consciousness in the assumed form of a cowherd boy, going about in search of his calves and companions, with a ball of rice, in his hand. Thereupon Brahma got down from his divine vehicle, the swan, in haste and prostrated before the divine child and began to extol him. O Lord of Lords, even I who am the firstborn, having come out of thy own navel, cannot understand the mystery of thy form, which is not fashioned out of material elements, but out of thy own free will in order to bless thy devotees. Who can calculate thy attributes? Only he who surrenders himself, body, mind and intellect to thee, can become eligible for liberation. I am but a spark of thy mighty flame, and therefore it behoves thee to pardon my stupidity. Thou hast demonstrated to me today how the one undifferentiated consciousness as thou wert in the beginning of cosmic time came to be differentiated and changed into numberless forms. What is this world but thy jugglery? Thou unfoldest the universe out of thy own free will, assuming the role of myself, Brahma, in order to create, thyself, Vishnu, to uphold and sustain the creation, and Shiva for the dissolution. O Almighty One, O Bhagavan, 
None can say anything definite as to where, how, when, and in what way thy play as the incarnate is going to take shape. Nor can anyone find an explanation for it. It is all part of thy divine mystery. Without thee, there is no world. Thou art the truth. Thou art the self-manifest. Thou art the cause of all causes, the indweller in all, the eternally blissful. He who is able to see thee, the one universal spirit, as manifesting in all creation, overcomes the samsara of transmigratory existence. Bondage and liberation are not actual facts, but mere names arising from ignorance of the truth which is thee alone. The Atman has no other phase except that of truth, consciousness and bliss. Just as in the sun there is neither day nor night but only eternal effulgence. Thou art the indweller in all yet men search for thee outside and thus they can never find thee. Without thy grace, none can ever come to realize this truth. Pray confer the boon of bhakti or devotion on me, so that I may be ever engaged in adoring thy lotus feet in every birth that I take, whether as Brahma or man or animal. How fortunate are these women and cows of Raja, for in the form of their sons and calves, Thou didst suck their milk for one whole year. What is the good of being a god like me? I would deem it as the greatest of good fortune if I could be born, even as a blade of grass, in this enchanting forest of Vrindavan, where I would get a chance of being bathed in the dust of thy holy feet. O Krishna! Thou art the son of the Rishti clan. Thou art the master of the universe and the lord of Raja. To thee, O Krishna, my homage for eternity. So glorifying him, Brahma prostrated before the lotus feet of the blue boy Vrindavan and circumambulated him thrice and departed to his own realm after getting Krishna's blessings. The Gopalas and calves, which had been spirited away a year ago, now appeared. But since they had been in Brahma's world, they felt that they had been parted only for a few moments. There is no memory which cannot be effaced by the Lord's Maya. The boy said to Krishna, You return so soon. You haven't even finished eating your bowl of rice. Come and sit comfortably and eat. They concluded their interrupted picnic and returned home. And the boys announced at Raja that Krishna had killed the demon Agasura, even though the event had occurred a year ago. Now that he had attained the hoary age of six, Krishna was promoted to look up the cows instead of the calves, along with the older boys. He went with them to distant parts of the forest, which had been hitherto forbidden to him. 
One day a Gopala named Sri Dhamma, a dear friend of his, said to him, Not far from here there is a palm grove which has been debarred to us since the wicked demon Denuka lives there. He has the form of a donkey and kills all who go there. The fruits of those trees have a unique flavor. Please let us go and get a few of those fruits. Nothing loath, Krishna said, Come on, let's go. He was ever ready to meet the most taxing demands of his friends. So together with Bhai Rama, he entered the forbidden forest. They looked at each other. Bhai Rama, the incarnation of Adishesha, and Krishna, the avatara of Vishnu, and an unmistakable message passed between them. With a laugh, Malrama took hold of the trees, one by one, and shook them hard, so that the ripe, juicy fruits fell down in clusters. Hearing this sound, the donkey demon came rushing out furiously and kicked Balrama on the chest. He was about to kick him again, when Balrama caught hold of him by his hind legs and whirled him round and round with one hand and threw his dead body on the, to the top of the palm tree. The tree crashed down, felling a number of other trees. The boys came rushing into the forest, shouting excitedly. They picked up the ripe fruits, and after eating their fill, they carried loads of fruit back home, singing merrily all the while. The palm trees, when ripe, had a slightly intoxicating effect, and by the time they went home, all of them were slightly inebriated. With the death of Denuka, the forest was liberated, and people could collect as much fruit as they liked, and the cows too could graze without fear. Another day Krishna went to the banks of the Kalindi without his brother by Rama. It was summer, and the cows and Gopalas were very thirsty and drank deep from the water. All of them fell down in a swoon. At this spot, the river water was extremely poisonous, for the mighty-headed serpent Kaliya lived at that spot. So strong was the poison coming from him that nothing could remain alive near the banks. The grass and trees around that place had withered, and even the birds fell down dead when they flew over the spot. The forest appeared to have retreated in dread from its edge. Even the mist and spray which arose from the waters had a noxious effect. As Krishna observed the desolation, he decided that the time had come to get rid of Kaliya and deliver the creatures of the forest from his baneful presence. Seeing the inert and lifeless forms of the cows and his friends, the Lord cast his loving glance over them and sprinkled the life-giving water from his eyes and they rose up as if from a dream. Krishna comforted them and told them not to be frightened for he would kill the serpent. The only living thing near that accursed place was a kadamba tree on which Garuda, the vehicle of Lord Vishnu, had once sat. And without much ado, Krishna climbed this tree 
and plunged into the swirling, poisoned waters below. His friends watched breathlessly as he thrashed about in the water, creating a huge whirlpool in order to attract the attention of the snake. Enraged at this strange disturbance of his peace, Kalia raised his cluster of heads in order to see who had been so foolhardy as to jump in. Seeing Krishna, he flew at him and bit him all over and wound his coils round him and dragged him down to the bottom of the infested pool in which he lived. Holding him thus in a tight embrace and darting his tongue here and there like flames all over his body, the snake gave him bite after bite. But he found to his surprise that his teeth made no impression on Krishna's body and instead broke and fell off. Seeing their beloved playmate disappear with Kalia to the bottom of the pool, the Gopalas were so terrified that they started to cry and some fell down in a swoon. At the same time, terrible omens were seen in Vraja. Nanda and Yoshoda were very unhappy to note these ill omens, and they felt worse when they discovered that Balrama had not gone to the forest that day with Krishna. They knew that it was the Lord's inevitable custom to leave his elder brother behind whenever he wanted to embark on some new escapade. They collected the other Gopalas and Gopis and all ran to Vrindavan to search for Krishna. On reaching the banks of the Kalindi, they found the unconscious boys and the cows lowing piteously and gazing at the spot where Krishna had disappeared. Yashoda was restrained from jumping into the river by the other gopis, all of them except by Rama, who alone knew of Krishna's prowess, was sorely distressed, seeing his mother and others in agony. Krishna released himself from the snake's hold and came up. <coughs> he had been waiting for just such an audience before starting his dance. The serpent darted after him with hoods spread menacingly, hissing and blowing poisonous fumes through his nostrils. Fixing his red-hot eyes on him, the snake tried to mesmerize the Lord and render him powerless. Krishna looked amused at the creature's pranks and playfully swam round and round him in full sight of the Gopalas so that the snake also started to revolve. Tiring of this particular frolic, the Lord lightly sprang on to the hood of the snake and began his macabre dance. Kalia brought up his tail in order to thrash him and Krishna laughed and caught hold of it in his right hand. Holding the flute in his left, he played a divine melody, dancing the while on the snake's many hoods. When one head was crushed, he would jump onto the other. The sky became filled with the celestials who had come to watch the show and also to provide music for his wonderful performance. The sight was so remarkable that the Gopas and Gobis 
forgot their fears and started to watch this remarkable dance in wonder. The setting sun spotlighted the strange scene of the black and writhing snake in mortal agony with the jewel-like child dancing merrily to the melodious strains of the flute. His pink feet twinkled like lotus petals blown in the wind and his ankles tinkled as he jumped from head to head. The red rays of the dying sun mingled with the blood of the dying snake and made the river crimson. Kalia's eyes, which had been gleaming like rubies at the beginning, had become dull and cloudy. Battered and bruised in body and spirit, his pride thoroughly humble, he was a miserable wreck of his former glory, and he began to think of his Creator, the Lord of all beings, and mentally took refuge in him. At this the wives of Kalia raged themselves before Krishna, and begged him to spare the life of their husband. Unable to resist their pleas, Krishna lightly jumped off his hood and swam to the shore. Kalia followed him and fully repented of his deeds, came and bowed before him. O Master, he said, thou didst create this universe with its infinite variations. We serpents are by birth ferocious and cruel. How can we overcome our nature? Thou alone can help us in this. Our salvation and our destruction are both in thy hands. Krishna said, Depart, O Kaliya. Go with all your kindred and subjects to the island of Ramanaka in the middle of the ocean. You are banished forever from this pool in the Kalindi, which you have poisoned and have thus debarred other creatures from using. Then Kalia, bruised and bleeding, answered, Alas, O Lord, as I depart to the island, that bird of thine, Garuda, who is my arch-enemy, will surely see me and destroy that life which you have spared. Then Krishna answered gently, No, my friend, when Garuda sees my footprint on your head, he will not dare to attack you, for he will know that you have been blessed by me. So have no fear and depart in peace. So saying, he placed his hands in Kaliya's hoods and made him whole again. Hearing this, Kaliya regained his spirits and together with his retinue of snakes, he prostrated to the Lord and departed to the island of Ramanaka. Thus the dwellers of Vrindavan were freed from the terrible scourge of the serpent Kaliya. Once more could they bathe in the reviving waters of the Kalindi and drink their fill. Once more did the withered trees and bushes bloom and the flowers dance and the forests creep back to the banks of the river. The cowgirds and cows, hungry and tired though they were, did not return to their settlement that night, but decided to spend it on the banks of the river. For Nanda still had his doubts that the child Krishna might have been affected by the poison. There was no way by which he could know this. 
people who are poisoned by snakes are generally thought to turn blue. But this child was naturally a blue color. So what were they to do? Another belief that they had was that the one suffering from snake bite should fast and should not be allowed to sleep, for he might never wake up again. The only way to ensure this was to stay in the forest for the night. For if they went back, Krishna would surely beg, borrow, or steal something to eat. So they lit a fire and lay down round it. It was a calm, still, and sultry night. While the others slept, Nanda kept watch with Krishna. Suddenly a breeze sprang out of nowhere, and the cowherd chief saw to his horror that a raging forest fire, like a sheet of flame, was advancing towards them with alarming rapidity. Quickly he woke up the others. The Gopas did not know what to do, but the children had no such doubts. O Krishna! O Krishna! they cried. Save us from this calamity, as you have saved us so often before. Krishna smilingly reassured them and stepped forward in the path of Agni, the god of fire, and opening his small mouth, he quietly swallowed that mighty flame in three gulps. The men looked on in wonder at him, who had saved them in this miraculous manner. Then Krishna turned to his father and asked him, Now are you satisfied, father? Fire is supposed to be the greatest purifier, capable of reducing even poison to ashes. And the Lord wanted to reassure his father that even if he had been poisoned, he would have been cleansed by the fire he had just swallowed. Nanda gathered him up in his arms and embraced him. Who was the strange child, he wondered, now wholly divine, now completely human? What was he to believe? The only thing he knew was that he loved his little son to the exclusion of everything else. And as the sage Garga had prophesied, this child had the power to save all those who loved and depended on him. Afterwards, Krishna was taken procession to the settlement, surrounded by his friends and relatives and cattle, singing and rejoicing at his safe return. Now came the hot summer season, but while the Lord made his residence at Braja, the summer resembled spring. Due to the delightful sound of the waterfalls, the chirping of the crickets, the luxuriant growth of grass, and the perfume of the lotuses and water lilies, the inhabitants of Vrindavan did not know the intense heat of the sun and the forest fires, which were a characteristic of summer. One day Krishna went to the forest as usual with his friends. They regaled themselves with various sports, like wrestling, whirling, leaping, pulling and boxing. Sometimes they danced while Krishna played the flute, and sometimes he would dance, while the others provided the music and clapped in rhythm. While they were thus playing under a huge banyan tree, a demon called Pralamba came in the form of a Gopala and joined the group. Many others in various guises had come to kill the boy Krishna and had failed. So Pralamba had the brilliant idea 
of taking on the form of a Gopala and thus dulling his suspicions. Krishna penetrated his disguise immediately, but willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, he asked him to join their game. After all, demon though he was, he had taken on a form which was dear to the Lord. The group split into two teams, with Krishna and Balrama as the team leaders. Various games were arranged at the end of which the defeated person would have to carry his victorious counterpart on his shoulders and walk to the banyan tree. Pralamba chose to be on Krishna's side, for he thought that he could easily defeat Balrama and then deal with Krishna. At the end of the game, Krishna's party was defeated and he took Sri Dama on his shoulders while Pralamba took by Rama and started walking. The Lord who had killed ten demons with his baby hands allowed himself to be defeated by one who grappled with him with love. He is ever ready to carry any of his devotees who surrender to him as he carried Sri Dama. In the meantime, Pralamba set off at a brisk trot with Bairama, jubilant at the success of his plan. Not stopping to look back or see what was happening, and unmindful of Bairama's cries to stop, he strode on past the tree, determined to take him straight to Kamsa. By this time, he had taken on his own huge demonic form, so Bairama could not jump off. He turned round to look at Krishna, and from afar the Lord made a sign to him to crush the demon's neck. Such was the power of that look that Balrama was able to strangle him to death. The Gopalas ran forward to see the mighty form of the dead demon. While the boys were discussing the wonders of the day, the cows had wandered afar in search of grass. Concerned about their disappearance, the boys searched far and wide and eventually traced them to a field. Having left the shade of the trees, the cows were dazed by the blinding heat of the sun and did not know which way to turn. Hearing the beloved voice of their master, they were preparing to return and the dry grass was swept up by a flame of fire which soon turned into a mighty conflagration. Terrified by the sight of the advancing fire, the Gopalas and cows cowered in fear and thronged round Krishna. Don't panic, said the quiet voice beside them. Just close your eyes and hold me, and no harm will befall you. With absolute trust they did as they were told. No longer did they have the slightest fear. No longer did the fire have power to harm them. But that beloved voice had spoken, and they knew that he would never fail them. Why are you standing like statues, closing your eyes? Now it was a little boy speaking teasingly, and they opened their eyes and found themselves back under the banyan tree where they had been playing. They rubbed their eyes in surprise. Had they dreamt the terrible happenings of a minute ago? Where was their guardian angel? Was he only a little boy laughing and rolling in the grass, making faces, pulling their hair, jumping and climbing trees like all little boys? Or was he a superhuman, 
they followed him in glee. Why bother to puzzle their heads as to who or what he was? Let them enjoy the present while they could. Now that the rainy season was upon them, characterized by bright circles around the sun and moon, angry skies with gathering clouds and claps of thunder, the brilliance of the sun and moon was dimmed by the dark clouds and streaks of lightning. The land which had shrunk in the summer heat now became filled with luxuriant vegetation, and in the night the fireflies dominated the scene, for the stars were hidden by the clouds. The frogs began their serenade, and all the little streams which had dried up now gushed and gurgled with delight. The whole forest took on a festive appearance. Even in this season, the children would take up the cows up the hill slope and into the forest. But when it rained, they would take shelter under the trees or in caves, munching roots, tubers and fruits. The splendor of the season was enhanced by the presence of the Lord. Next came the autumn, characterized by clear skies and mild breezes, ushered in by the lotus flowers. The autumn season saw the turbid waters of the rivers and lakes becoming clear and limpid. Rid of their waters, the clouds now shone in white brilliance. At night, the clear skies revealed the stars in all their glory, and the autumn moon rose large and red on the eastern horizon. Thus, the golden days of childhood slipped by like gleaming beads threaded on the rays of sunshine. Thus ends the sixth chapter of Sri Krishna Lila, named Brahma Bamuse. Hariyom Tatsat.
Yeah.